This episode of the 55-1 Podcast is brought to you by Town Hall Brewery. Located at Seven Corners in Minneapolis's West Bank, Town Hall has become the place to catch soccer as well as to get fantastic beer and food. This week, Minnesota United has not one, but two home matches, and you're invited to spend your pre- and post-games at Town Hall. On with the show. Welcome to the 55-1 Podcast. My name is Wes Berdine. I am joined by a young man who's drinking a Sazerac because it's Sazerac night in St. Paul. That we mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a night that we just created right now. Mm-hmm. Jeff Ruder, hey man. How's it going? We've got, a, uh, we've got a mannequin in the corner without pants on. We've got some rocks down here. There's Things a, are getting weird. There's a, a pumpkin uh, trick-or-treat uh, basket Looks back there. Looks a little too happy. Yep. How are you well, doing? Welcome back to uh, Minnesota. I'm I'm doing well. I've I've slightly recovered from from three days of driving. But on the phone, the man who I watched uh, soccer in Philadelphia with last week is our uh, young friend Alex Schieferdecker. You're actually older than Jeff. That is uh, but true. But I just can, <laughs> can since I'm apparently old now, I get to call everyone young. You had a good run. I did. Yeah, I did. Hey, Alex. How are you? Hey. How are you guys doing? We're great. You know we're knee deep so in right what is uh what is what is a, this is my youth yeah what what's sazerac night uh it, well it's a, it's a night where we just drink sazeracs but sazeracs uh are like sazerac is like the quintessential new orleans drink it's a rye whiskey with uh um absinthe rinse and uh you know simple syrup and lemon peel so it's a and some you know bitters so it's a really basic rye whiskey cocktail and what's one of the only cocktails i know how to make what like is the uh the philadelphia equivalent that you've got going on tonight alex we've never done this. oh man i, I you know it probably involves cheese whiz and lots and lots of vodka a cheese whiz rinse mm. and a glass <laughs> of phillips vodka perfect welcome to philadelphia all right well um on this episode we are going to talk about we've got the green line uh derby we have um uh, you know, we're going to talk about Philadelphia and soccer, and uh, we are going to talk about the salty tears of Salt Lake City, as well as we have a, a, a ton of Twitter questions. I don't know how we'll get through them all, but we'll uh, we'll buckle down. Love will find a way. Yeah. Uh, say some prayers, etc. But uh, we'll just uh, go to big quarters who provide the music, and then we'll come back, and uh, we will start with the good, the bad, and the weird. And welcome back to the 551 Podcast. Jeff, Wes, Alex, good, bad, weird, where we do our weekly whip around of all things that happened outside of Minnesota in soccer. And we'll begin with just a quick foray of the good, which if for some reason you, I don't know, work in the mornings or you don't sneakily watch soccer games at your desk, the Confederations Cup started this last week in Russia. And it's been a fantastic tournament to watch. Wes, have you watched any of this? No, not at all. You've been driving, I guess. Alex, have you? Please? Nope. 
damn. So this it was, is a, so. But I, I thought like soccer was like encouraged at your workplace, and you could like have it. Oh, on I can't. Big screen. But I'm saying for everyone, for everyone else, else who yeah, couldn't. Who but uh, basically, the suckers of the world, right? Uh, it's a fun tournament. You've just got one team from all over the globe. Per each region of the globe. It's not just like one team. Per each globe. The Harblin Globetrotters of soccer who just Uh, show up in every single country. But no, it's been really fun. Um, The the Mexico-Portugal game that went on on, I want to say, Sunday morning ended 2-2. It was was just a fantastic display. This is like the Copa last summer is my point, though, where it was a tournament that a lot of people were like, hmm, I wonder if they're going to really care about it. And everyone went... All in in that tournament. It was a fantastic tournament. And again, the Confederation Cup. Every team, including the VAR, has really stepped up their game. Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to dwell on this, but I have not because I've been traveling. I know that there's VAR uh, video assisted refereeing controversy. Can you give me the super short of it? Um, people are picky because it's been correct most of the time, but it, it's disallowed an offside goal in that Mexico Portugal game. Uh, where it was called a goal, then it was called out for being offside, and everyone's like, hey. And then the, the Chile-Cameroon one, uh, people think that it really screwed over Cameroon. Okay. There you go. Um, and how long has well, it taken oh, to make to... these calls? Sorry, uh, Alex. Is it... It's taken like 10, 15 seconds each call. Okay. It's not like a stop the game, like a baseball okay. game or anything. Right. Alex, thoughts? I, I just wanted to mention the one really important thing about these matches, which is that Mexico-Portugal is the Simpsons derby. It's the match to determine the greatest team in the world. Oh, when right. the uh, when soccer comes to Springfield uh, and it's advertised on TV, right. the match is between Mexico and Portugal, and all the names are ridiculous. And, and that's, it was but that's the open wide or the get ready open wide for some soccer uh, video. <laughs> um, let's go to the bad, which was uh, you and I sat in Talon Energy Park in Philadelphia with five thousand of our closest friends. In Chester. Uh, in Chester, you're right. Uh, to watch Philly play Harrisburg City. I was particularly excited to see Tiago Calvano play for Harrisburg City, and he didn't even make the 18. <laughs> I talked to some Harrisburg uh, City fans. I went up to their, their section, and um, they were, you know, the one guy I talked to was very nice, very cool. Uh, he said that. Was they, his name Chester? It was not. It was Doug. I was kidding. That's um, close. It was Chris, actually. Uh, but he, they, he said they were playing three games in seven days, and so. Tiago is probably playing, being saved for the bookend. Is he a regular starter at Harrisburg right now? I think so. Yeah. Wow. They like good him. for him. Um, and uh, and so uh, I don't know. We can talk about the game. Do, do you care about talking about the game? It ended three one uh, for Philadelphia Union. Alex, anything you want to say about the actual soccer? Or? No, it was a pretty ordinary game. It was nice to see live soccer. We did get tickets for like thirteen bucks and sat. Right in midfield, like five rows back. We could have just moved down to the front. Um, but you're men of principle, yeah. Yeah, I don't know why we didn't. Um, we, we did have uh, one of our uh, Dark Cloud friends, he, one of his co-workers, who's also a soccer fan, was in Philadelphia, met up with us, a guy named Danny, and he had never heard of 55-1 before. Um, so I punched him in the face. Good. Uh, no, but we sat there and talked, and it was great to meet someone and just talk about soccer for a while. And then it also made me realize that there, because he doesn't do social media, um, uh, there are a ton of people out there who are Minnesota United soccer fans who want to find news. And uh, so he is on Facebook a little bit. But um, so it's up to you, listeners and readers of 551, to uh, to 
evangelize for us uh, and and help us get that word out there because there are great people out there and we think that what we're doing people will want to read and people would be interested in and so do us a favor every once in a while if you like an article share it give it to other people i don't print know. it out That's stand at the street corner little, hand little it out to the plebes evangelism but um philadelphia as a that stadium i don't know that is a is a fun little place because it's right on the riverfront um uh, as a stadium though it's it's uh it's pretty it's pretty lego set uh in terms of it's quality. not what you want for minnesota it's definitely a step below actually several steps below because it's really a pain to get to from philadelphia i mean i almost never drive anywhere but i have to drive to that stadium yeah that, that is by the way just for an urban planner that's a damning critique yeah yeah, it's it's, it's it's unfortunate. There's a lot of unfortunate things about that stadium. We could take an entire podcast talking about it, but I will basically, say, the Minnesota can and will and is doing better on that front. The the one thing I do, I do want to at least say something for the game, which is that um, Philadelphia did come out with a pretty strong team. Um, you know, and it was fun to see guys. I mean, they were they never even got going full speed. They just kind of. Uh, you know, add a, a gentle jog, uh, beat Harrisburg. Harrisburg had maybe one or two guys uh, who were decent. Um, there was one guy up top, Pedro Ribeiro, who used to play for Orlando. Uh, we just call it, we just sat there calling him Hodor. He looked totally useless. Uh, and I talked to someone who knows him, who knows his play well, and it's just like, yeah, that guy's a beast. He's amazing. Um, huh. And I was just like, oh, okay, because we were making fun of him because he was just useless. Couldn't even just box a guy out for a ball. Uh, anyway, let's go to the other good. We don't have a weird, actually, this week, which is just Minneapolis City and VSLT, Viejo Son Los Trapos, the Green Line Derby, uh, the second edition. Uh, Minneapolis won this match at the beginning of the season, and now it's back, and that was in St. Paul. Now it was in Minneapolis. Both games ended with uh, t- one team having 10 men. Jeff, you were at this game. I was at that game. I was not in Chester. And it was scrappy as shit. It looks like a, a series that even though, again, they've only played twice. But it does look like the players put a little extra into this. I think I've been to three Minneapolis City games this year. And this by far looked like the, their most fiery performance. VSLT went up in the first half scored a goal they also went down to 10 men and read kyle eliason's recap that he has on 55-1 but it was sometime in the first half vslt went down to 10 men minneapolis city until about the 65th minute didn't look like they were playing with a man advantage it really looked like it was 11 v 11 finally whereas before it looked like 12 v 11 and so minneapolis city is able to get two goals pretty rapidly and then it was just bunkered down and they were praying. And there was one sequence in stoppage time where the ball was crossed in, kind of headed out, but then it landed in the box to a VSLT guy. And then like five Minneapolis city guys hit the deck in front of it. And it was just very Keystone cops. And you could, you yeah. could hear the Benny Hill theme going over the speakers yeah. and the ball somehow didn't even find the net at all. Goalie didn't have to make much of a play on it after his initial punch and Minneapolis city walked out with a two, one win. All right. Well, they are, um, I think, third 
if I saw yeah. most recently, but um, David Baker put up his NPSL recap for the weekend. Uh, Kyle Liason has his article, I believe, uh, tomorrow. Luis Garcia's uh, Med City's recap recaps will be up. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so catch up on all that. And the the seasons, you know, everything is like coming to an end soon. So go check out those games if you live in Duluth or Sioux Falls, wherever you live. Across, um, go yeah. Mm. Uh, go go check those out. Uh, I mean, because it really, I I have a blast. I love those because it's back to the old days where I can just, I can pick someone out and just mock the hell out of them, and then they'll score a goal. You ask why you're able to call Alex and I young guys, and why you feel old. It's yeah. because of comments like "It's like the old days." It's like the old days. That is the moment that you. Became I, I just want to say that it's like this. This NPSL league has been sort of exciting to watch from afar. And I said something similar to this, Wes, when when we met last week. But it's this is how soccer in the lower division succeeds, right? You have these rivalries. You 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 know maybe this isn't the highest level of soccer, but you know, goddamn, you want to beat St. Paul or you want to beat Minneapolis or like you want to beat Duluth or Rochester, like these regional rivalries. These these within. Minnesota and surrounding city battles cuts down travel costs, but it also makes things really compelling. You know, you you care about beating Med City much more than you would care about beating, you know, a team from Jefferson City, Missouri, or something. Yeah, I don't know what the parallel is. But, Putting but Jefferson City on blast it's, it's, on the podcast. Yeah. yeah. If you get like 500 people out to these games every time, like that, to me... That's the way to success for this fourth division. And, and it's I, exciting. I'm really proud of 55-1 for all this coverage of the league. And I will say, too, last year there was a lot of focus on the, the supporters-led Minneapolis City. And this year you can really see that the culture, it's not dissipating. Uh, when the second goal went in, the, the chairman, Dan Hodeman, was standing with the citizens. And at that moment when the, the go-ahead goal came in, he was tackled by like five fans and there was like a dog pile in the bleachers around the chairman of this team. And it, I mean, it was a really cool, unique thing that you certainly like you. I don't think you would ever really see Dr. Bill McGuire get tackled by fans in a dog pile if, say, Minnesota had a go-ahead goal against Kansas City. Though that is an image, by the way, that is fantastic to imagine. And it's not just Minneapolis City. It's these these other teams are doing it too. You know, yep. I did, I met, Med City had a great crowd for their debut. They seem to be drawing people there. Like it's this is exciting. Yeah. Uh, just one one quick question, then Jeff, you can answer this. Puck Sherburn on Twitter asks, "Will the Green Line Derby ever go full time without a red card?" Absolutely not. Okay. Great. Uh, and then hopefully someday the Southwest Light Rail will go out to Minnetonka. I don't think it'll ever reach Minnetonka, but then Alex, will it reach Minnetonka? Then Minnesota, Minnesota twin stars, uh, can be part of the, the Derby. Um, so let's, uh, let's take a break. We'll come back, talk Minnesota United FC. Before we start the Minnesota United section, I want to uh, talk about briefly our inaugural reader poll for 55-1. This is where you, yes, you, can go and vote for your favorite Minnesota United player, best Minnesota beer, etc., more, more, etc. We want to get to know more about our readers, and it's 
really important to us. So I'm asking you, listener, please. I know there's a ton of you out there because I see the numbers. Um, take three minutes and go fill it out. It will genuinely mean a lot to me to have a good amount of people there. Um, we will put the link in our show notes and on the website. And if you vote, when then you're entered to be one of the winners of a gift card um, from Town Hall Brewery. If you don't live in the Twin Cities or Minnesota and you're not going to use that, I will get you a gift card to whatever equivalent it is, to wherever the heck you are. Because we want to know about our readers. We have a decent sense from our analytics. But we also want to have a great vote for these different categories. So thank you. Let's start. Minnesota United. Oh, I thought I was supposed to be the big quarters there. No, I'm sorry. No. <clears throat> that was embarrassing. Let's do it. Welcome back to the 55-1 podcast in earnest. We're going to talk Minnesota United, um, and hopefully you won't fall asleep during our segment like you fell asleep during the Minnesota United loss to Real Salt Lake last Saturday night at 9 p.m. on a Saturday, um, which is, by the way, the, the Piano Man hour, 9 o'clock on a Saturday. Why did I know how you guys are old? It's because you're complaining about 9 p.m. on a Saturday. Regular crowd shuffled into Town Hall Brewing, Brewery, 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 Sazerac night, and it was—I mean, it was a really slow game. I don't know if either of you were really able to catch it, but I didn't catch it live because the fancy hotel we were staying in makes you pay 13 bucks for internet. Yeah, that's bullshit. What kind of shit is that? Right. Um. It was, I don't know, it was painful to watch. So there were I mean, six. It was a slow game if you were a Minnesota fan. It was a slow game if you, if you were, were a Salt, Salt Lake, Lake fan. fan. The first half. It looked pretty interesting, I think. <laughs> but no, the first half looked like a game of Pong played in real time. Not sped up, but it was just back. Pong. Pong. It was seriously the entire 45 minutes. It was painful. There were six lineup changes uh, after. Real Salt Lake's lost the previous week to, I want to say, Seattle. I'm probably wrong, but it's a 1-21 shot. They uh, Petkey put his team on blast, and he said that every player would have to basically train his nuts off to be able to play. There were six lineup changes. It was a very young lineup featuring little prospects like Nick Romando and Kyle Beckerman trying to win their place over these crafty veterans like Albert Rusnak and Luis Silva. And... It was a very young lineup. In fact, one of them ended up getting the 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 main position in our fifty five one three stars, Jefferson Savarino. Savarino. I always want to say Savarisi, and I know it's wrong, but it feels right. And Jefferson, he was he was tough to contain. He and Brooks Lennon provided the pace. They were able to keep Minnesota's back line, which was forced into some very last minute shuffling, which we'll talk about in a second here. They were keeping them on their heels, and you were never able to see overlapping fullbacks, which is traditionally part of Adrian Heath's tactics. And then it created all of the issues that we've talked about for the last month and a half, two months, about the lack of connection if the fullbacks aren't going forward between the defense and the offense. Kyle Beckerman put on a masterclass performance in containing Ibsen. And for a team that doesn't play with a number 10, once Ibsen is contained, there is zero connection between that back half of the field and the front half. And with Beckerman stopping that, Minnesota looked out of ideas from about the 40th minute on. Alex, this uh, lineup, uh, as as Jeff said, had some uh, uh, particular changes to it. What did the lineup look like to you? Um, I, I think I think Jeff covered it pretty well. Um, I think that the big problem 
is, is when he mentioned the lack of a number 10. And this has been something I've, I've said many times. But in the previous game, which was against Dallas, um, Salt Lake shipped six goals. Um, and then they, I believe they lost in the Open Cup as well. So this was a team that was coming off of some really terrible performances. And we didn't trouble them at all. We did not have a single good chance. And I think that, you know, we did play without a number 10, but that's not actually how it was lined up. Kevin Molino was very often in that number 10 spot. And I know that's supposed to be his natural position, and I don't buy it. I have not seen him play better in that central role than he does on the wing. And I think that when he is in that central role and not on the wing, we're actually losing something because we are sort of expecting someone to be in that number 10 spot and they're not. And also, Abu Danladi, instead of being up as a striker, gets pushed uh, to, to the right wing and to fill Molino's space. So I think that that, I think that, that setup is a mess. And, and I think that Molino needs to be more of a winger. I think Danladi needs to be more of a forward. But I just think that we need a number 10 we don't have one on the roster. I mean, we had only five subs in this last game, so we barely have anyone on the roster, period. <laughs> um, but it's it's just, this was the most glaring example of this need that we've talked about in articles and on this podcast again and again and again and again. Well, we only had five uh, guys on the bench, uh, and, and you did not have Mark Birch there, um, Jeff why don't you give the give the context for that? Well, Birch and okay, so they Minnesota always travels with eighteen players. They don't bring excess, and they they send their eighteen. They have the other guys stay back to kind of train a little bit, watch from Minnesota, and then get ready to rejoin the team early in the week. There were two late scratches to Mark Birch and Johan Venegas. With Mark Birch, it came out today that he traded places with Westberdine and flew out to Philly mm-hmm. where he is getting uh, looked at for an issue with his groin. It's believed to be early prognosis and feeling is that he is going to miss substantial time today. Adrian Heath told the, the reporters, Andy Greeter and Meg Ryan that he feared for the worst, which means that Mark Birch may have hopped a train actually down to Jefferson city and he may not come back. Well, he's staying on your couch right now, Alex, right? Yeah, can he's, you ask yeah. him? Yeah, hey Mark. Oh, he just shook his head. Okay. Oh no! Oh, oh no! He knows wow, how this D- is going. Durkee has trained him well not to not to talk to the media. So, um, you know what, what we had is Mark Birch pulled uh, Jerome Tison moved to the left uh, because Justin Davis did not travel with the team. Um, so that meant Viva got his second start of the season, um, and he was out out on the right. And then you also had. Um, Johan Venegas uh, pulled. Uh, he he was another late scratch, and that meant Dunlady started. And what was weird is Dunlady played on the left. Ibarra played on the right. What the hell was going on with that? What? Why? Why? Do you, a bit. Why do you take Ibarra and put him if he, you know he's best on the left? Right. You know Dunlady's best on the right. Correct. 
Well, there was that two-game stint where Molino and Ibarra switched wings for very little reason. I think it was just a... And it didn't work. No, it didn't work at that time, and it certainly didn't work in this last game as well. But I could understand for Molino, it's the, you're emphasizing we need Molino to be at his best, and so maybe he's at his best. But let's go back to Molino. Alex talked about how he's never seen Molino play for Minnesota at the 10 as he's seen him play on the right wing. And I'm going to go so far as to say I've never seen Molino play well at the 10. I haven't seen a single moment where he's lined up centrally and he's looked like he's able to be dangerous. Meanwhile, you line him out right. Central defensive midfielders like Beckerman can't latch onto him because then they're opening up an entire center of the field. It's risky. So that doesn't work. And then you put him against a left back. You know left back is one of the weakest talent pools in Major League Soccer, top to bottom, just because of the lack of true two-way defenders and the lack of left-footed players at all. And so then you put him at right wing. He obviously will drift centrally, but he's going to be marked by that left wing and that left back. And that is where he's most dangerous. That's where he's able to handle the ball, get into his mojo, dribble it centrally, beat a defender or two on his way pretty easily, and then get the confidence to either make the pass to Ramirez. Ramirez, I swear, had four touches in this entire game. I I don't think, again, Beckerman negated Ibsen. There was no number 10. And Minnesota ran out of ideas. Minnesota wasn't able to get the ball. Minnesota literally had no offensive subs to bring in. No, none. They had three midfielders, Jermaine Taylor and Pat the Cat McLean. And those were their entire that that was their entire selection. So you had Rasmus Schuler come in again, and that was the only substitute. There was only one sub used in this game. When you have a midweek game, um, a game on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. You had one sub. Yep, and so I mean uh, again, it's it's self-explanatory, but 10 guys went the full 90, flew back on Sunday, and then are going to be asked to go again on Wednesday. So I, I, I don't know anything about this specific question here, but Alex Furry asked it. Lots of people have asked this. Why aren't we sending 20 players to road games? Do you know, do either of you know much about, do other teams send 20 players most of the time? Um, how, how common is that? I, I guess I've, I've never seen, really thought about it. I've seen more than a few teams not have the full complement of subs this year. It's when yeah. someone gets hurt or whatever. Right. It's I don't think it's that uncommon. No, more than half of the teams. I did a quick survey of this and more of the half more than 12 of the teams in Major League Soccer this year will send 18 every week regardless. The the idea behind it is again they don't have chartered planes, so you can't just throw an extra body on there like a sardine. And so you are paying for those seats and that if you send two extra guys to fly to Salt Lake, which isn't necessarily the cheapest flight to put together, you know, that does count against your other decisions you can make. So I do understand it again, because there are no chartered flights. Once you get, of course, to these bigger European clubs or the bigger leaks, not like Chelsea, but I'm talking about the Bournemouths, the Huddersfield this next year, they'll have chartered planes and they'll send 2021 20, guys every single week because they can afford to, because it doesn't cost anything extra for them. But with how well, it's set chartered up, buses, because England is tiny. That's true. No, it's Indiana. That's true. But you and your transit options, Alex, I swear. I, I'm just going to say it would cost you about $50,000 to, to send 20, 20 players. If, if it costs $2,000 a player mm-hmm. to send them on a road trip. But again, that's these are the th- decisions that teams have to make as they're putting together their budget because of how it's set up. I agree with you. I, I don't understand why you would ever just send 18 and hope for the best. But um, that's the world, the league that you live in right now. So the game, uh, we'd had a howler from Bobby Shuttleworth who pre- up until that point 
had a spectacular match. Um, he faced 29 shots, nine on target. So he faced really nine, but, um, uh, then he just drops the ball. I don't know what you can say about it. It was a howler. It's crappy. Well, every every he, other player had stopped looking at it except for Yura Movsisian. Right, but he also, to be fair, had saved probably three chances that should have gone into the net. So it was just, I mean, it was an evening out of the odds at I, that point. I don't know. I thought all of the saves he made were saves you expect an MLS goalkeeper to make. There was. I one thought that the story of the game remember. was horrible shot placement from RSL. Like yes. just really bad finishing. Joe I mean, Sever, like Severino was really, really good, mm-hmm. but but he also missed a ton of chances. And Joao Plata, who was our number two, that was Luke, also very good, but he missed tons of chances. He had a Carlos Rivas day. Over. That Luke Mulholland shot from from the top of the box. Yep, was was a that pretty was good best. save. That was yeah, that was the best save. Okay. But yes. but but again, the the most challenging extension saves he made were from shots outside the box. And every shot off of a chance inside was basically directly at him or within reaching distance. So he, he had a good game. Um, we named him the third star, but I just, it was a, it was a bad mistake. I mean, the goalkeeper, I, I'm, I'm more inclined to give him a break because it's the first really bad mistake like that he's made this year. Yes. But, um, but I, I, I don't know. I, I was that was it was a real disappointment. I, the one thing about everyone stopped playing. I think it was because Francisco Calvo handled the ball before it went to Shuttleworth, and so everyone sort of stopped playing because they assumed the all the RSL guys stopped playing because they wanted a penalty. And Sam Cronin, who was nearest to the ball, turned to wag his finger like no, no, no at the referee. And Movsisian had also stopped playing, and then he noticed the ball bouncing on the ground and, and was able to hit it in. Um, I just want to point out a couple basic uh, numbers, which is uh, shots, Real Salt Lake, 29, Minnesota 5. On target, 9 to 1. Uh, Minnesota had 52% possession, which led me to think, like, why, why were we trying to possess the ball and try to build up play on them? Every, every time we would build up play... Would give up the ball and Real Salt Lake would break against. Us. Why did we let Real Salt Lake play the counter against us when we knew that we did? We didn't have a, a our our team was uh, hindered by those two changes. And I don't know. I, it just seems like I do have a sense though that only Birch. but Birch was going to start. I'm not sold that Johan would have started over Abu Dhanladi. So when you say it was weakened, yes, it was weakened in the sense that the attackers would have to go the full 90 no matter what, but it wasn't like it really changed their game plan because Dunlady and Venegas tend to do very similar things when they're on the pitch as well, as far as their placement, as far as their positioning, and as far as their movement. Well, we're still not a good team. Of course not. So we should not be trying to go to a team at altitude, possess the ball, and move the ball around. I will say, though, Minnesota has always had the mentality under Adrian Heath to bring their game onto the opponent, regardless of which field they play on. And uh, I disagree with it. You disagree with it. I think Alex does as well with that kind of idea that no matter which field you play on, you don't change your game. I think you have to change your game based on but your opponent, based have, on where you play no, the elevation. We have played a couple a couple of those games when we've gotten results and played on the counter. You know, in in Colorado, 
We played on the counter. I mean, there are there are games where we've had you know three hundred passes. You know, we where we've just basically you know let them possess the ball. I, oh, it, it's it's all right. I don't need to push it too much. But anything else you want to say about the Real Salt Lake game? We have the East Coast Dark Clouds asks, why, why are we not good? Uh, Alex, you have fifty words. Why are, is Minnesota United not good? Oh, that's impossible. I mean... You thought you were done with research papers, Alex. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we're not good for a lot of reasons. Okay, But great. I think we are also... also. Sorry, this is going to be longer than 50 words. Let me just say, we have only lost two consecutive MLS games. Ding, 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 ding. It feels like a lot longer because it's been so long and because the break and the Open Cup, which we played a full reserve team... But it's only been two MLS losses since our last win. So pump the brakes just a bit. Okay. Well, this week we have two matches, uh, both at home, both at 7 p.m. Wednesday at home to Portland, uh, Saturday at home to Vancouver, or <laughs> to Vancouver, um, however you want to phrase it. Hosting that. a dinner party Hosting, with Vancouver yeah, yeah. as the humber- right, humble right. guest. Yeah. Um, what what do you expect from th- these matches? I saw one question from Steve Lindley over under on one point five points this week. I don't know about whatever over. But, uh, do it's you over. think do you think we we could get four points this week? Is that an expectation or what? What do you think? I know you said you don't predict it anymore, but I I think that Minnesota should look at these games as a four point opportunity. That if they get three from, it's a disappointment, but they did their job. I think that you look at that Portland game, you know what Portland did the first time they played. Of course, it's a very different Minnesota side. It's one person who works for the club's cover photo is that opening week 11 in Portland. And we won't name who, but you can find it very quickly on Twitter. And nine of those 11 players don't factor into the usual starting 11. Portland just lost this last week 2-1 to one to Colorado at Colorado. So they will travel back across a time zone to get home, and then they'll travel across two to get to Minnesota. That does mean something. And it's going to be midweek as well. They have just as much rest as Minnesota does. They did some squad shuffling in this last game. So it'll be interesting to see what team Caleb Porter rolls out. But I think Minnesota looks at that as one point, you did your job, three points, you had a game. And then you look at that Vancouver game, and I do think that Vancouver game is a game that Minnesota United can and probably should win realistically. So I'm looking at it saying three, maybe four. Alex, what do you think? I think the Loon should get six points. I think Portland are overrated. Um, they have lost four, no, five consecutive away games, including the Open Cup. Um, I think that they are a really, really bad team away from Portland. Do you know who they play um, this weekend? Who they played? They who, played no, who, uh, they, who are they are going to play after us on Wednesday? Oh, they are hosting Seattle. Yeah, it's a small yeah. game. Yeah, yeah. So I do think we will have the advantage of they will take Minnesota for granted. They will know that it's a road game. They will know that they should just get a point, and that's fine. But they could probably get three points because we're shitty, um, which gives us the advantage of if we're not shitty which we can be not shitty. You know, mm-hmm. this is a team that is not bad all the time. Sometimes they are bad. 
Sometimes they're very, very bad. But but this is a team that, that could beat Portland. It was not a bad game against Portland that opening weekend, even. It completely went uh, balls up uh, right in the last five minutes. Right. So I, 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 I agree with you, at least on that. Vancouver, uh, I, I don't know. Vancouver might be a little bit different. They're... Do you think Eric Hurtado is going to play? Are you going to fly out just to mock Eric Hurtado? <laughs> I should. I, I think that is the tougher of the games for the reasons that we just covered. Uh, Vancouver are better away than Portland. Um, they're worse at home, but they're better away. Um, it's the weekend for them. They've had uh, the full break, I believe, and we will have played you know, so many games, four games, uh, two straight midweeks. They did so, lose to DC United, though. Which they did, but they also just drew Dallas. I think that was the last beat, time DC United, but they, they beat Atlanta. Scored. Yeah, right. I think yeah, that I actually think right. might be right. But I, there will, I don't know. I will disagree with you. The Portland game is the more difficult of the two because Portland's just a deeper team. Vancouver doesn't have a lot of choice of selection once you go beyond their eleven. Portland has more of that. Also, keep in mind with Portland's five-road losses, Portland was notoriously bad. They didn't win a single road game in 2016, so that is a long trend of theirs. However, they also have faced an enormous amount of injury over the last couple of months, and so it's been tough for them to field a full side. I wouldn't take Portland uh, lightly as you're going into this midweek game. I'm not taking them lightly, but I think that they are, given given who they're playing next week, Given that it will be a midweek, or there will be a much shorter rest for Minnesota on the weekend, I think that the Portland game is the real three-point opportunity for Minnesota. But I think that they should be—I mean, you should always win at home. Minnesota looked good at home; they should win. They should take six points. Anything but that is disappointing. Wes, what's your seven-day forecast? I—I—I I, I, I don't know. Like I, like you said previously, I—I I don't predicting it. It makes no sense. But I think. Uh, four points would be a very good result. I think coming away with an, just another win, they just all they need to do is keep on stacking up as many wins as possible. Um, That's a hot. They take. should also, I mean, win as many games as you can, and you might hire, make the hire this man. I think. Wes, do you want a front office job? Uh, these are my. This is my. Let me do some analytics for you guys. So they should win games. Okay. You All took right. a week off, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Let's uh, take a break. I'm gonna, I'm gonna think of some more genius insight to give you, and uh, we'll take some Twitter questions. And welcome back. It's Fifty Five One Podcast. My name is Wes. We've got Alex on the phone. And Jeff in the room. Uh, Jake Hemish sent me an email, which you can always do. I love these. Uh, Westberdine at 55.1. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I, I blanked on it too. It's it's one that I... Yeah, anyway. Uh, so <laughs> he says, I was looking at our team and we only have Colin Warner from the expansion draft still on the team. Would you change anyone if you were redrafting, looking at the trades we made and what we got? Um, I haven't looked back to see who was available, et cetera. 
I don't think I would have taken Duvall to trade for Venegas, but your thoughts. Okay, so let's go through those five quick in case you forgot, because again, four of these five don't play in Minnesota. They are the forgotten loons. First round, Chris Duvall was taken. He was traded for with allocation money for Johan Venegas. Second round, Colin Warner taken, stayed on the team. Third round, Mo Saeed traded with Josh Getz corpse for Mark Birch and Sam Cronin. Fourth round, Jeff Atanella, who was traded for Miguel Ibarra's rights. And fifth round was Femi Hollinger-Jensen, who was traded for Bobby Shuttleworth. Uh, Alex, is there anything in that lot that you would have changed? Yeah, I think that the two... Well, let's let's forget that Femi... Let's say we picked Shuttleworth in that fifth thing, because it was essentially a swap. Right. I think the mistakes were in the first two picks. Um, I agree. I think Duval for Venegas... Venegas hasn't... He, you know, he's been disappointing. I think Warner's been disappointing, and I was a proponent of picking Warner, but he has not been the player I thought. When I look back today at the list of who was available, one of the big names that jumped out to me was Stephen Betashore was available. He costs a lot, but let's say we go back to the expansion draft and we know what we know now about Vedin Demidov, for example. Who wasn't on the roster at that time, by the way. You can get for like $200,000 less than Demidov. And you're so much better off. So I think that a proven MLS defender, MLS veteran, that's something we eventually figured out that we needed. And we got Cronin and Birch. Um, I think we should have gotten Beta Shore. And that would have been a really good number one pick. It's very similar to that as far as what I would have changed, uh, Jake. But... I would have stuck with Duval. Did you just call Alex Jake? No, I was answering to Jake Hemish, oh. who sent the email. I was like, <laughs> oh, brother, where art thou? Uh. Jake, what I would, I would have done is I would have held on to Chris Duval. I think you also end up with more allocation money. As Amos McGee told me for an interview with MLS Soccer at one point, they were very close to getting Sam Cronin, but the money didn't quite match up. Keep in mind, at this point, Dax McCarty was still on the market as well. If you have a little extra allocation money, you can probably get one of those two ahead of the season. You've got Duvall, who started just about every game for Montreal and has looked above average at right back. So let's say then you're not sold on Justin Davis. You still bring in Jeremy Tiesson, or Jerome, not Jeremy, and you start him at left back instead of right back. So then you have a back four at that point, Probably opening day, it is Tiesan, Calvo, Taylor, and... It would have been Demid- Demidov. Oh, you're well, Demidov no, wouldn't Demidov. have been signed at that yeah, point yeah. if you had Duval, And then you have um, Duval as your right back. Yeah. Coleman eventually works his way in, and you have all of that extra money to play with. I think then Minnesota wouldn't have shipped in five and six goals in their first two games. And I, I think that it would have been a more competitive team from start and given them a little more money to work with to focus on the attacker that they didn't quite get when they acquired Johan Venegas. Wes? There were so many decent keepers available. We went for a foreign keeper who still costs money. It's Mm -hmm. not like he was cheap and for, um, it just didn't make sense to me then. It doesn't make sense to me now. Um, it obviously hasn't worked out. So I would have taken Clint Irwin. He went third, uh, to Atlanta. They Mm -hmm. traded him back to, uh, Toronto for, uh, Mark Bloom and allocation money. Yeah. And a pack of smokes. Yep. And um, they were Galois, so there's that. Um, and so I, I just think Clint Irwin, uh, very good keeper. Um, you know, if, if we had Clint Irwin or Jeff Atanella starting, that'd be great. I, I would love that. I think Bobby is a better keeper than Atanella. Irwin in Shuttleworth, to me, is a coin flip. So I, I, I will see your point with that. But I, my thing is just 
draft Bobby immediately, give him an extra three weeks or whatever it was to train with Rove D. And then, because again, like Alex said, that was a wash. I still don't really understand. I think the plan must have been well, was, to trade Tammy for Teo, yeah, Femi was, for Teo Bunbury. Yeah, that was the plan. And that never the worked plan. out. For whatever reason, they, they couldn't get it done. But, um, okay, so, sorry, any final thoughts? Well, I just, I, I want to defend my guy, John of Boga. He, he was never the problem. So the, we talked earlier about the Portland game being close until, like, the 80th minute. And one of the reasons why was because Alboga made a massive save to keep the game scoreless, like in the first five or ten minutes. He's not so necessarily I think that, the problem. That's not, but he does. No, he's not the problem. He costs right. more he, than these other guys. Is what he, I'm. He costs one and a half shuttle. That wins. is accurate. Yeah, and, and that's wanna, and that's also remember that they thought that they were going to get Quarase, and Alboga was. Uh, I, I think came that idea came after. Um, Plan B. When Corsa got injured, so it, and these things happen. We are totally looking back. We will have a time, I think, next week when we do a, a review of the first half, and then we can totally um, that'll uh, purely hind- be roster hindsight. based. Yeah, but um, anyway, uh, so Jezza Penguin says I will like be likely. Well, we this is about VAR. We talked about VAR. Sorry, Jezza Penguin. Um, we had a ton of tweets come in asking about incoming transfers, so I just want to talk about those. Who, what kind of things are realistically coming in? People talked about, basically asked about every position. Right. Uh, I've asked a few people within the league about that today. And from everything I've picked up, the plan has entirely been dropped in the last 24 hours with Minnesota with the Mark Birch injury. I think they looked at their defense as solid and they didn't need to focus on that. And so Minnesota was going to look a little bit in the midfield, but particularly in the attack. Look for a true backup to Christian. Look for more help on the wings, like Sam Nicholson, who is currently probably well. It was it was reported by Scott. We reported. We even wrote that. Post. Yeah, we we wrote that post. Yeah. So Sam apparently has decided to come to Minnesota, but it's not confirmed yet. Um, He's the, not going to play until July. He wouldn't 15th, be able to play until so. July tenth. But yeah. talking to one of my sources around Sam Nicholson, he hasn't made that full full decision yet. It sounds like he's leaning Minnesota, but he hasn't committed to Minnesota yet. So keep your eyes on that in the next week, I'm guessing. But now that Birch could be out as possibly the rest of the season, given how old he is, given how many miles he has on his tires, etc., they do need to address the back line again. And if John Alfberger is alone is terminated, which looks likely on July 15th, they need another keeper as well. So realistically... They will have to fill, I think by my estimation, five senior roster spots over the course of 30 days. And it, it's going to be a lot of work for us, I think, Left over back, that month. keeper. Yep, yep. Number 10, possibly. Second striker. More help on the wing. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think that, uh, I mean, I tend to have this, I've said it before, I think six to seven signings would do it. I think it's going to be far fewer than that, and that's fine. I mean, part of what we're thinking is we would love to see the team be good this year, but uh, the team, the the signings for this summer will be looking beyond, right? Mark Birch was signed always to just be here for this year. His contract is up at the end of the year. I don't know what he was planning to do at the end of that, um, but he's he was an older player who could start and help shore up our back line. Which he did. Uh, yep. And at some point, some of these signings need to be... We have a really old squad. There need to be young players in there. 
And so, well, let's talk about some of those signings. And I think we're, we're kind of tiptoeing around this exact topic right now. Adam Jarvie asks, Demidov will go eventually and Alvbaga and Kadri loans assume not to be extended. Alvbaga in July, Kadri in December. Puzzlingly Porsche, Rasmus Schuler still has some length left on his leash. That's fantastic alliteration, Adam. What, We've seen between the SKC Open Cup game and this last game, Schuler has come back into the Minnesota United, again, off the bench, so it's a little bit of a different circumstance, but he hasn't imposed himself on either game yet. No. So, Wes, I'm, I'm going to start with you, because you and I have always said, all we are saying is give Rasmus a chance, see what he can do, bring him into a game, put him in the number eight instead of the number 10. Do you think that there's still meat on that bone? I mean, he's still there. They paid money to get him. Um, uh, he's not—he's not going anywhere this summer, certainly. Um, and he'll continue to get chances because we need him for depth. Um, and maybe at some point, he'll get his chance and he'll click. He hasn't so far. Uh, there's no reason to say he won't. Um, but certainly. I'm not going to, if I'm looking at the bench, I'm not going to be like, all right, that guy, let's put him out there. We'll change the game. I'm going to try to keep the guys I know who can do something, which is Ibsen and Cronin, keep them out there as long as I can. Right. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, Alvboga and Kadri are gone. I, I I, have not heard if Kadri is going to be gone before December, but I, I said this before, I, I can't see why Copenhagen would want him here. Um it's not doing him any good. No. Alex, any thoughts on Rasmus Schuler? Um, yeah, he's been a bummer. Um, I think that his position is as the number eight, and I think that he is too, uh, he's been usually played in these three man midfields that really haven't worked for a variety of reasons. Um, if, if he plays, I would love to see him, and this, this goes for Colin Martin as well, as a straight swap with Ibsen. Um, Otherwise, I think we've seen him play in basically every other combination, and it hasn't worked. So let's see what he can do with lots of space, and if it doesn't work, then it doesn't work. And that's really closing the book on that, I think. United Loon says uh, his two questions. Uh, the major, what is this, major arena, major soccer, arena league. soccer league commissioner lives in Minnesota, apparently. Chance of a team in the future? There is a chance. Uh, and then two of 18 USL and one of six NASL teams remain in the US Open Cup. Does this say anything? This says that there are three lower division clubs left in the Open Cup. That is that lightning round. Incisive analysis. Um, Jared Christensen says, on a positive side, when do we get a fifth win? How long does Grant Wall have to re have to remain in Minnesota for that sixth win? Grant Wall is scoping out condos in Little Falls. I don't think he really realizes how far away that is, but it's going to be an hour and 15 to an hour and a half every single time he wants to drive to TCF Bank Stadium. But that's the world that we live in, uh, Little Walls. And so... I think. Uh, I mean, we, when we do we get the fifth get, win? Uh, what are what is Minnesota at three or four? What what is what are four? They? It could happen this week. We but get it, we get also it's not. We get our sixth win by the end of July. We have we have seven home games. I think between now and the end Goodness, of July. Yeah, yeah. I'm pulling that off from my top of my head. Sounds so not right. wrong. But um, if we don't get rack up significant points during that month, it's going to get 
increasing, very difficult. We're not a good road team. We're, in fact, a terrible road team. Um, we're not a great home team, but at least that's where we get some more results. Right. So, and it's going to be a tough month of July, but they, they honestly, they need to come away with, if they've got seven games between now and then, they need to come away with at least three wins. And I know that that is really minimal. Right. Um, but They're not quite LA Galaxy, Kurt and Alfo at home bad, no. but it's not pretty. The fact that you even have to make that comparison is sad. Sad. We played seven games at home. We've won four of them. So in the coming in, in July, when we play five straight games at home, and in the coming week when we play two games at home, uh, we should we should have that that's fifth and sixth win in the you coming. Hear week. that, Grant? Get your uh, plane ticket out here quick. Yeah. I do want us to lose the weekend it comes out, though. That would be beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, David Pett, final question says, why does Molino keep taking the ball from his team and breaking up a play? Either he thinks he's that good or they, or that they aren't. Um, I don't know. Uh, I, I think that he's just in a, I, I see that as him in that role. He's, there's no number 10. He's dropping back to try to make those plays. Johnny Vegas will do that a lot too. Um, I think that that's more of a, a role thing, but also his team isn't that good. So it's just a case of hero ball. You know, it, it's a look of saying there hasn't been a goal yet. Christian won't get the ball himself because I mean that's just not what he's asked to do. He's not supposed to drop into the midfield. So Kevin Molino and sprints into action and then ultimately trips on his and own. And it's feet. because the song that is now sung about Molino is to the tune of "I Need a Hero" with his short shorts. Yeah, yeah. So there you go. It's the perfect shorts for it. Do you have any Molino thoughts, Chief? I've already sort of explained it. We don't have any players on this team who are like exceptional at anything. Like we don't have a guy who's like blazingly fast. We've got some, you know, fast guys. I think we don't have some guy who is just incredible dribbling. Well, let's we have do guys this. who think they are superlatives but, on the Minnesota United you know, Malik- roster. I think Calvo is one of the most purely athletic center backs in Major League Soccer, as yeah, far as yeah, just somebody right. who's a, a mix of agility, vision, strength vertical i think calvo is one of the most athletic center backs i think that sam cronin might be one of i would say he's one of the smartest players in major league soccer but that's not something you really see if you're just watching like a four minute highlight package on mlssoccer.com um that's yeah that's about it that's all i got christian's one of the best finishers in the league ibsen tries shit more often than anyone else did did you get to see ibsen's moment of ibsonity this week yeah yeah what what are we how are we defining that that was him doing one of those you know where you watch and it's like a subway station and there's somebody generally wearing like leggings who will like just start dribbling a ball on their feet like they're a seal at an aquarium and then kind of just dribble it for about 10 minutes and it's just like wow how the fuck are they doing this that's ibsen and that's what he's doing this he grabs the ball between his legs like Cuadimo blanco throw while he's lying on his back keep in mind throws it in the air with his legs and then kicks it right to a teammate which again that is not something i have ever seen so i, I saw it as fifth grade fifth grade crab crab soccer Interesting. It's not like a game was, I'm versed he, in. He was just like you know, gym gym class where you have to go on on on. You're laying kind of on your back, but you're propped up on your hands and walking. You've never played crab crab soccer. Who was your teacher? Gym classes. 
I'm concerned right oh, now. Oh, you guys in, in Pennsylvania, there's they, you guys don't have crabs in Minnesota. We're just so. trying. <laughs> we're just trying to make you feel young again. Yeah, and bring yeah. you back to your younger when time. When I was a kid, we'd play crab soccer because we. <laughs> And on that note, thank yeah, you for tuning right. into this week's episode of the 551 podcast. You can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, 551. And if there's a platform that you want us on, no one has told us this for 30 weeks, but I'm going to keep saying it. We will try our damnedest to get it there. Leave a rating on iTunes. It helps people find us on the searches and on the suggested podcast. Da, 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 da. And uh, happy belated Father's Day to all the fathers out there. Uh, Wes, where can the people find you on Twitter? Um, Minnesota Nice FC. It's all right. We got this. Spell it out. I think people know our three handles by now. Bye, so, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. We'll talk to you next week. Bye.